want to say it. I consider it a tremendous blessing to see so many people here this morning. I was uh, a little concerned that this morning there could be just a little pool here of people. I knew that there was numerous traveling uh, various places. And uh, so I'm just really blessed that we have a number of visitors, I think some all the way from Maine, that are here. And I'm very grateful that obviously the turbulent waters or the storm or whatever you want to call it blew the peaches back from down south somewhere. Uh, and I understand there's still some down there. Maybe it should have blew just a little harder yet to blow them home. But anyway, they're still there. Uh, several young couples. But there is Mark. So thank you for coming. So I'm just really thankful for every one of you that is here this morning that assist in helping our worship be more meaningful. So God bless you. Any prayers were prayed on behalf of this morning and uh, trust that this morning God will have something for each one of us. That's my prayer. Maybe I'll say this verse before we pray, a verse that has become very, very dear and precious of mine. And uh, I actually referred to it, I think, in the end of the service last Sunday when I was moderating. And that is Psalms 18.30 where God says, As for me, my way is perfect. And part of the reason why that verse encourages me so much is David, the man after God's own heart, was a man that lived much of his life, as some could possibly say, could have been confused, could have been frustrated, but yet God helped him in so many ways to have a right response to life. And in the middle of his difficulty and his hardship and his, could have been asking the why question so many times that he could pen those words, as for God, his way is perfect. And uh, verses just, I drew a lot of strength from that already. And... Uh, his way is perfect. Let's, uh, let's stand together and just commit our time here to the Lord. Father in heaven, I thank you this morning for the privilege to be here together to worship you. And I thank you, Lord, that with all confidence and all uh, assurance and all of that, Lord, that we can look at your word this morning as a stable, solid, Sure, foundation. And Lord, we can look from cover to cover of the books, the precious Bible we hold in our hands, and we look at the beginning and we look at the end, and we can conclude that as for God, His way is perfect. Lord, You have worked out Your glorious plan of salvation through various methods. It's one method to be saved. We know that, and that is through Christ. But Lord, the many symbolisms and the many happenings we see in the Word of God and the many people that you've used in ways that while they were being used had no clue. And yet, Father, it was part of your plan. And we sit here this morning, we have the Word of God. And Lord, we realize we're living in the church age. And we realize this morning, Lord, we're living in the last of the church age. And we realize, Lord, that at some point in time, possibly in a gradual sense, and we're possibly living in it where 
Lord, we live in perilous times, and we realize that's very likely, possibly upon the church already and coming. And yet, Lord, we realize that you're a faithful God. And we realize, Lord, the need for us this morning to be turning our hearts and our focus and our attention upon the rock. And that is you. And we realize, Lord, we live in a time of much church struggle across this nation. We realize that. And Father, we also realize it's not a time to be scattering, but rather drawing together. And Father, we realize that you and your mercy has a plan for every soul in this room. And Father, we choose this morning to turn our hearts towards you. As you tell us in your word, Lord, you exalt the valleys, you, you bring down the high hills, and you make the crooked places straight. And you've come, Lord, to set things in order. But Father, we heard this morning, we many times need to go back to the cross. First of all, to find life and many trips back to the cross to push the reset button and find our way again. And we thank you, Lord, that we live today yet in a day of opportunity where that can happen and does happen. So, Father, we just commit this time to you and pray that you would anoint the things that I have to say, the reading of the Scriptures, your Word, so that every soul here this morning could get a sense of... of uh, of hope and a sense of you speaking to them. Lord, even those this morning that are are lost, that have not yet given up, I pray, Lord, that a, a, a glimmer of hope that the way of the cross does lead home and the way of the cross does lead to a abundant, spirit-filled life, not without battles, but it's the way. So I pray, Father, that you would just bless this time as we share together here this morning. Father, our eyes are on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe I'll just read. Maybe I should say this first before I read that. That This morning I'm going to share the things that they are because of the personal journey that God has me on. And I trust that you can get some blessing and benefit out of it. That's my heart for you this morning. Isaiah 61, God says, God gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's the God we serve today. I already prayed or possibly shared that how we can look back on history and see God moving. And that is a tremendous benefit. And blessing that we have today. You can turn to Exodus this morning. And maybe I ought to say as you're turning there that this morning I am choosing to use an Old Testament account. And I'm going to be speaking this morning in a lot of ways figuratively as we look at this Old Testament account. And... uh, So I just want you to keep that tucked in the back of your minds as I'm sharing here this morning. Those are pretty much the terms that I am going to be looking at this passage of Scripture on here this morning. In the book of Exodus, we all know and appreciate the story of how Joseph and the Hebrews ended up down there in Egypt. And we look at that and realize that the way Scripture tells us, they were there for nearly 400 years and... The people, the Hebrews there in in uh, 
as they were there, they began to multiply in numbers. They began to increase. And as the Scripture tells us, a new king rose to power that didn't know Joseph and didn't understand everything and began to become concerned about these people who were growing in numbers and were becoming more and mightier. Uh, then they themselves was the fear, and they, they implemented taskmasters to uh, give them rough, brutal, harsh treatment, and only to realize that the more they did that, the more they grew in numbers, and the more the fear and the concern began to grow, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, and all those things they inflicted on the people of God to try to quench it out. And as we know, there in the latter part of, of Exodus chapter 1, they finally resolved to the awful, cruel, harsh treatment of killing little boys. And of course, they tried to plan there with the midwives and it didn't work the way they would have liked. And they finally resolved to throwing the little boys in the Nile River. And we look back at that and we wonder now how... Can that fit part of God's plan? And I sure don't understand all of that. Some of the things that God allows in history. But we know without a shadow of a doubt that was a dark day there for the people of God. And then we start with uh, Exodus chapter 2. And maybe I'll just begin reading there. In Exodus chapter 2. And we want to be looking a bit here at parts of the beginning parts of the life of Moses is where we're going. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him. She took for him an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And a sister stood afar off to wit what would be done. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself in the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she opened it, she saw the little child and supposed. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said... His sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, and she that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maiden went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take the child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought it unto Pharaoh's daughter, and it became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him. Out of the water. So there we see little Moses coming on the scene in this time in history. Uh, we see some of the miraculous things that surround that. Uh, and we look at this and we can look back now and we can see all this as part of God's plan for the history. And for eventually for the salvation of souls of course. But this was part of history. Here we have Moses coming on the scene. And uh, then we, there's a, a lot of things that we don't know uh, as far as his upbringing there. Uh, how long did uh, uh, was was he raised by his own mother? You know, as as far as nursing the child, how much? But what we know, as it says in various places in the New Testament, there that he was he was trained in the ways of the Egyptians and so forth. 
So there's a, a lot of history there that we, we don't know. We can just make some assumptions. But somehow, I don't know how it all happened when it began to dawn on Moses that God had a plan for him, uh, for his people. But we know, as Hebrews tells us, that he chose rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. He returned there to his people. And then we have chapter 11 and 12, uh, verses 11 and 12 coming on the scene. Or maybe I'll just read it this time, 11 through 14. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an, Hebrew smiting, an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said unto him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou didst the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. We see here, I'm going to call it a bit of a impulsive, possibly reactionary man. Something took place in his heart, I believe, where he had a sense of responsibility. And he rose up in somewhat of a rational way and did what he did. And ended up here slaying uh, an Egyptian And when he found out the thing was discovered, of course, we have him fleeing down to Midian. And we find him there sitting by a well. You know, there's a lot of things that we don't know and we don't fully understand as we look at Moses as to why he did what he did. Maybe at this time I'll read verse 15. I did read 15. Yeah. Well, I'll read 15 again. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. When Moses fled, then, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. I don't know what you picture in your mind, but I picture there a man sitting down by, down by the well and reflecting over the past and saying, now, how in the world did all this happen? You know, I don't know how it began dawning on him the responsibility that God had given him, but here he is. He's sitting down by a well, and he's wondering, I'm going to suggest to us all, what really happened. He flees for his life. And I can only imagine if we could crack open his heart a bit and look into his heart, I'm going to suggest this morning that he probably sat there with many feelings of failure and defeat and struggle and wondering how in the world can any good thing come out of this. Do you suppose that could have been a reality as he's sitting there by the well? We can only imagine what could have been going through his mind. But there we see him. He's sitting by the well. You know, I sometimes do we ever find ourselves sitting by the well, looking back, wondering why we find ourselves possibly sitting there by the well, wondering how in the world can I keep going in life? How in the world can I keep going in life? And there he sits by the well. 
You know, I think sometimes it does us good to sit there by the well. To sit there by the well and to look back and reflect. Part of the motivation, as I will share later here in the message, is why actually I'm sharing the message. I think there's possibly more in it for me than for you. I don't know. But I recognize in our congregation here this morning that there's some of us that are sitting there by the well. Some of us possibly wondering how we got there. I just want you to know that if you're sitting there by the well this morning, I'm sitting there with you. And I also want you to know I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm not going to consider, I'm not going to continue sitting there by the well. God does not want us to continue sitting there by the well, confused and frustrated and looking back and wondering and wishing if only we could redo a few things. Do you suppose that Moses had those feelings? If only I could redo a few things. How did this happen? There could be a better outcome. Possibly with feelings of good intentions, but things went so wrong. Possibly with feelings of being misunderstood. Possibly with feelings of wanting to argue with God because my motives were so right. But here I sit. And I know that that's where some of us are sitting here this morning. And my goal and my heart is that we can give us some hope this morning together. That we're not going to continue sitting here by this well. Verses 16 and 17 in my mind are a beautiful picture. As Moses is sitting there by the well. And I would like to just make somewhat of a little point out of verses 16 and 17. 16 begins, and now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. You know, there's a sense in which I would like to recommend to you this morning that even though he was sitting by his well, the well there, and we could say he was sitting there in a, a pool of pain, if you want to call it that, and he's looking back and he's reflecting, Yet his world was bigger than himself. Along comes these girls and some cruel shepherds, and he stands up and defends them. You know, he had his eye to a sense, not just on him, not just on his problem, but he was willing to look at life beyond himself. A world that's much bigger than himself. And I just so appreciate that. I just so appreciate that part of Moses' life. There he is, though he's sitting by the well, though he's looking back, though he's wondering, he's reflecting. I think he understands the blessing and the benefit of getting his eye off of himself and on the bigger picture. Maybe I'm reading too much of it in, into it by saying that, but I would recommend that to you, and I see that there in Moses, and I picture his heart when I look at that. Let's read on in 18 through 20. And when they came to rule their father, he said, How is it that you're come so soon this day? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and drew water enough for us and watered our flock. And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. 
If I'm understanding history correctly, those several verses that I read there was a time frame that would have elapsed of possibly close to 40 years. There Moses is. He's in a land of Midian. And I would just like for us this morning, and of course I said I'm speaking a bit on figuratively terms here, but I would like for us to suggest that if I'm understanding this correctly, maybe reading into it a little bit, but does it not seem that here Moses is, he ran up against a wall, he found himself in a, in a place that he wondered how it ever happened, and he flees, and now he ends up sitting by the well, and he does those acts of service, but here he is in Midian. And if I'm understanding it correctly, I'm going to recommend to you that in a lot of ways it seemed, it could have seemed to Moses that like here he is, he's now in Midian, and once again, God is putting his life back together. He, he becomes friends with this man, and obviously this man uh, puts him up and whatever he does for him and ends up giving him uh, a, a daughter to wife. He, end, he marries. He has at least one child. And in a lot of ways, I would like to look at this scripture as here he is, he's living in a strange land, and in a lot of ways I'd like to look at it that it seems, at least for a season, that God is putting his life back together. In fact, it even says he's, he's, he was content. He was content there. Now he is in Midian, and things are going a bit better for him. While he was there in Midian, I believe... And I'm going to recommend and I'm going to suggest, if I'm not reading too much into it, that life was pretty good. I have a good father-in-law. I have a family. In fact, he's not just a father-in-law. He's also a priest. I'm going to recommend and suggest that there was probably a certain amount of spiritual life that he had there in Midian. And there he is in Midian. His life is back together in a lot of ways. Verses 23 through 25 gives us a bit of another picture. While he's there in Midian, his life seemingly is putting, being put back together. There's a cry. There's a cry coming up in verse 23 into the ears of the God of heaven. And it came to pass in a process of time, in verse 23, the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of bondage and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of bondage. And God heard their groanings. And God remembered His covenant with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel. And God had respect to them. So there's a sense in which as Moses is there in Midian, learning, Midian, learning to adjust to a new normal. This is a new normal for Moses. He now flees. He's in a different place. And it seems like his life is starting over. And while this is happening, this is all happening, there's a cry coming up. There's a cry coming up for reason of the bondage and the cruelty and all that's taking place with the Hebrew children back there in Egypt. And this cry comes up. And you know, I'd like to move on here. This cry that comes up before the Lord. And I'd like to give us the challenge sometimes, where are we at here this morning? Is the cry coming up? How close are we to God? Are we close enough that we hear the cry of those in bondage? Are we close enough that we hear their cry? God heard their cry and God saw their cry. And I believe there's those even within this congregation that are crying out by reason of bondage that need hope. They need hope even within this congregation. I believe there's teenagers that are crying out and they need hope. They need hope. They need someone to encourage them. Someone to show them the way of the cross. The cry 
because of the bondage, comes up before the, the ears, and God hears their cry. And I believe all the while this was going on, I believe God had His keen eye on Moses. And God was not yet done with Moses. And though Moses is there in Midian, he's adjusting to a new normal. God is not done with Moses. And God hears their cry. And I believe God had a keen eye on the cry of the Hebrew people of God as they cried out. And God had a cry. God had His eye on Moses as all this was happening. And as I shared with you, I believe Moses is down there and he's becoming content. As I shared, even some spiritual life possibly he had there in Midian. I'd like for us to consider this morning that had Moses stayed in Midian, the outcome today would have been very different, would it not have? Had Moses stayed there in Midian, in a sense, seeming his life put back together, history today would be so much different. History today would be so much different had he stayed there in Midian. I'm speaking figuratively now. I'd like to recommend to us this morning that if the church stays in Midian, the church won't be built. I'd like to suggest to us this morning that we cannot stay in Midian. And even though I'm using Moses this morning for an example, and Moses was a leader, and I recommend this, I recognize this morning that God does put a lot of responsibility on leaders. And I would like to be a bit more open with my own life and be transparent here a little bit later. I realize that and I realize that we are. I'm part of a leadership team and I realize that we can look at this message and just look at it as a sense of God calling leaders and the responsibility of leaders. But I'd like to recommend to us this morning that we open up our Hearts a little broader than that. Realizing that we're living in the New Testament dispensation. And I believe men are the priests of the home. Men are to be the leaders of the home. I think it's time for the men to rise to the challenge in our homes of leadership. And I'm only saying that to say that I hope this morning we can open our hearts and our minds broad enough that I'm not just speaking to leaders this morning. I'm not just speaking to leaders here this morning. But I'm speaking to all of us this morning. And here we have, we left Moses there. In uh, back in Midian. Now I'd like to go to chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will go now. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see the great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Draw not nigh, hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land, unto a large land, unto a land that flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorites and the Perzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. And I'm come now, and I'm, and now, and now therefore I will send thee unto, come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And I'm going to leave off reading right there. And I am going to be reflecting largely on the first portion of those scriptures there I read and speak a bit figuratively. I'm going to endeavor to do that out of the first number of scriptures that I read there. You know, I would like, before I look too much at this, just like to go back to where we find Moses. I, I just want to make sure that we really get what I'm looking at of where we left Moses back there in Midian. And maybe I could just share a little bit of my past and my testimony as it relates to life in Midian. And I sometimes wonder, even though this isn't the main thrust of where I would like to go, but I think sometimes we become far too content living back there in Midian by the well, where, so to speak, God puts our life back together. And we find ourselves being content back there because life is well back there in Midian. I'd really like us this morning, before we go on here at the call that God had and what God did there with Moses, for us to get a hold of that and for us to consider that and us to think about that. You know, in a lot of ways... As I look back and reflect back in my past, you know, many times where life is good, I have a good job, I have, I have a good family, I have a good wife, I, I, like I said, a good job, a good income, I have plenty, and life becomes just pretty comfortable. In fact, I have some extra money around, I can buy this, I can buy that, and our roots begin to go down pretty deep, do they not? How many of you that has been that experience, you know? I look back on my past and, and there are times, you know, where things, where, where you just become pretty self-satisfied and those roots go down pretty deep. And this is just what the Christian life is about. That happens. You know, I remember a, a period in time in my life where we sensed a call that we were to sell out, sell the things in our home and we were, uh, God called us to a local city and there we were and I had this mindset that I think God is going to call us to this kind of a life. I felt like, uh, I, I sensed the call of God in our life for some sort of a ministry and we ended up there in the city and, and we turned our back on our home back there in Lancaster County. Maybe we should have sold it, I don't know, but we kept it. And we turned our back on a good job. We sold a lot of possessions and we uprooted ourselves and we put ourselves there and it was much easier to become kingdom focused. I mean, we were there with a purpose. We were there, that's why we were there. And I also look back in times in history in my own life and realize how easy our roots go down, how deep our roots go down, and we're unwilling to be pushed out into where God would have us to be pushed out. So I'd just like to give that to us this morning to consider this. And you know, as we consider that, what is it that makes our roots go down so deep here sometimes where we have to wonder, even though this isn't a message where I want to go far down this 
this train of thought, but just to go down that vein a, a little bit, you know, here we are, we were in a season and a time where it's some, it's hard to shake those of us loose because of the cry that's coming up across the sea or in the local city or wherever it is. But our roots go down and we're per, 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 pretty deep here. And as I shared with a brother recently, you know, many times I think it's, is it anything other than materialism? Our materialism puts our roots down pretty deep. And the reason I went down that little vein, you know, in a lot of ways, I don't know what all Moses was experiencing and feeling back there, but I'm going to suggest to you this morning, for the sake of the message, that life got pretty comfortable back there for Moses. I'm going to suggest to you that things were pretty good. As I shared, he had a family and all, he had all this. And that's where we let him. And you know, as Scripture says, enter in at the straight gate, for straight is the gate and that... Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. Am I saying that right? That leads to life. And few there be that find it. You know, when we enter in at the straight gate, we realize that straight gate. But I also realize that as we go through life, sometimes we just begin losing focus of that. And we, we get pretty comfortable with life here. And I'm going to suggest to us this morning, for the sake of the message, uh, that, that possibly that's where Moses had found himself. But God's keen eyes on Moses. And I'd like to suggest to us, as we read here in, in Exodus chapter 3, that I don't think it was any accident that God led Moses that day to the backside of the desert tending sheep. I don't think it was an accident that God led him there. It was no accident. God knew what he was doing. Some would feel it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses, and he was there 40 years, and I don't doubt that. That could have been part of it. He had to unlearn some of the things that he learned in Egypt, and I don't doubt that. But there he is. We left him there. He's there in the desert now. You know, sometimes when you ask somebody how they're doing, I've already heard, and and maybe you've said it already, and I don't know if I ever said it, but I cringe when I hear it. When somebody, did you ever ask somebody how they're doing, and they say, oh, same old, same old. Uh, We say that sometimes. And I don't fault you if you say that, but there's something in me that rises up that just wants to challenge that. As a Christian, should it be uh, same old, same old? I don't know. But I'm going to suggest to you this morning, if we want to use that phrase, even though I don't like that phrase, that was the experience Moses was having that day. He was, he was, he was off to the backside of the desert. There, there he is. And, uh, and it was life as usual. Verse 1 here says, He came to Mount Horeb. He came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. I'm going to suggest to us this morning that I don't think it was the mountain of God. Maybe uh, some of you could convince me different, but I don't think it was the mountain of God that he necessarily came to that day. I believe he came and had a personal encounter with God, and I believe it became the mountain of God because of his personal account encounter that he had there with God that day. Maybe some of you could tell me different, but I'm going to suggest it became the mountain of God. I'm going to suggest to you he came to a place where God got his attention. And it was in the wilderness and it became the mountain of God. And, and as history has it, there was later there at, at, at Horeb where the, the law was given. And I think it was at Horeb where he met later on in the wilderness wanderings where uh, his father-in-law met him to give him some direction. But it was the mount of God. And oh, how we need the mountain of God today, do we not? Oh, how we need the mountain of God. We have... We, we, need, we need men in our congregation and men that, that have a mountain of God, a Horeb, where they can go to. We need a Horeb. We need a mountain of God where we can go to, where God gets our attention. 
the mountain of God. And what does he see there as he comes to the mountain of God? He sees a bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. Moses sees a bush that's burning, it's not being consumed. He sees a very unusual sight that gets his attention. And he stops and he turns. Do you ever feel like that? Sometimes God brings things into your life, into your experience, into your attention that cause us to wonder. And what do we do with those unusual sights? Do we have faith enough that we can turn those unusual sights that God brings into our lives into a horb, into a mountain of God? Those unusual things that God brings into our life, can those unusual things become a horror? Or are we content with life in Midian this morning? You know, this morning it's possibly a church struggle. It's possibly a wall that you run into. And it's God that allows it, whatever it is. And what can we learn from Moses is the question here this morning. I wonder sometimes how often we miss God with these unusual things that God brings into our lives when God is near, but we just write it off. Moses turned aside to see this great sight. My wife is, has this past week read the story to her children, the lost children story. And many of you probably have read that story, the lost children how they were looking for these two lost children that lost in the woods. And as the search went on, they found an apron in a water. I'm not sure if it was swift water or whatever it is. And they came to a conclusion in their mind that this is where these two precious souls drowned. And they had their mourning and all of that. And they stopped the search. If only they would have looked a little harder, they could have saw the footprints that left that crossing pool of water. And the children actually weren't very far away. But the search was over. And they stopped searching. Now they did find them many days later. But I wonder sometimes when God brings those unusual sights and those unusual things into our lives, can we turn them into a horror? That's what Moses did. You know, if I'm understanding this correctly, when the, when the, uh, the angel, when, when, when he saw that sight, it says, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, then God called him out of the bush. You know, it's we get the idea here that God didn't just call to him out of the bush and begin giving him instructions. It was after he stopped and he turned and he looked that he found God in this neat, unique situation. And you know, if we're a frustrated child of God this morning because of unique situations. Can we turn long enough to look at God? I'm just going to give some scenarios here that possibly God is speaking to us. You know, sometimes we write it off and get frustrated and say, well, it's people, it's things, it's situations. But could it be God? Could it be God if we would stop and turn and look, possibly God would speak, even if it's a bad church situation, if it's failed leaders, if it's a bad home situation. Could it be a tough marriage partner 
situation that we find ourselves in that we can actually see God. My wife heard a testimony, some of the sisters that were at Penn Valley Retreat, a, a sister, my understanding is, would have shared how she was in a bad marriage situation, an unfaithful husband where he eventually left her. But she actually looks back and reflects on how much closer she is to God today because that situation happened. Now, that isn't saying that the wrong marriage situation was right. Not at all. But the thing this dear sister did was she saw God in it. And many times, we don't see God in situations. Maybe it's bad health. Maybe it's the death of a vision. Maybe it's a terminal illness. The young couple that I shared about here on Wednesday night where uh, Shannon, his wife, has cancer. They sensed the call of God to go to Grenada in a church just several miles north of here. He was licensed as a pastor. They went up to New York City and did training. And they came back. They bought one-way plane tickets. They have a little child. Two weeks ago, she felt down here in her stomach and she felt a lump. And they went to the doctor and he was up here working uh, about a week later. This just happened on Monday. He was up here working and she was with her family down in South Carolina when they got the call that it's cancer. In a situation like that, you raise all the why questions. Lord, why? And they tried to get refund for their airline tickets and they couldn't because it was one way. And they say, why? And the doctor says, you just need to go for more tests. And it was later this past week, they got a call again saying that it's liver cancer and liver cancer doesn't start in the liver. We need to do more testing to find out where it originated from. And we look at that and we say, here's a couple that's willing to go across the ocean and minister the gospel and we say why now that's a bit of an extreme case but i would like this morning for us and i'm i'm sharing a lot of this because of me and because of my situation and i'm going to be honest with you as i'll share here in a bit i found a horror this week and i'd like to say to us this morning dear christian God is in the burning bush. I think sometimes we just need to stop and we need to look and we need to say, Yes, Lord. I want to hear what you have to say to me. My mind went to the verse that says, In this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Despite these difficulties, Moses turns aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And what does God say in verse 5? He says, Don't draw nigh. Draw not nigh hither, but put off your shoes from your feet. For the place that thou standest is holy ground. You know, it wasn't a thing where God just haphazardly spoke to him. He was on holy ground. I don't know what all kind of spiritual 
significance is to be said by Moses be instructed to take off his shoes and to approach carefully and slowly because it's holy ground. Other than for us to recognize when God allows difficulties and challenges and unseen events that just pop up to our face sometimes that seem so hard to avoid and we wonder all the why questions. We, we, we need to approach God carefully and seriously and soberly. Be careful how we approach God. You know, the church, the church of Jesus Christ is the apple of His eye. And yes, we're going through a bit of challenging times in our fellowship here. We're going through some times of, yeah, just a bit of a challenge as we find our way. And I think we need to be careful how we approach God in these challenging situations that we find ourselves in there. Let's be able to see God in these things. Holy ground. I would like to just shift a little bit now to the book of James, chapter 5. If you'll turn there with me. And I'm just going to go ahead and read in James chapter 5, verse 13, to the end says here, is there any afflicted? Let him pray. Is there any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the space, on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. This is a passage here in James five that we use very commonly for anointing of oil. And we appreciate this passage. I would like for us just to consider briefly here that in this passage of Scripture, we have four different categories that we can put us into. Uh, Four different categories. One is, it's the afflicted. If you're afflicted, it says pray. It says in verse uh, 13 there, if any be merry, let him sing psalms. If any sick, let him call for the elders. Of course, it says there, and that's the, the scripture that we use for the anointing of oil. And then toward the end of this passage of scripture, it talks about those that have erred from the truth. So we have there those that are, they have a song on their heart. Life is good. Uh, they're merry. Uh, scripture says sing. And we have there those that are afflicted. It says pray. 
Those that are sick, uh, call for anointing. Confess your faults and so forth. Pray one for another. Pray for healing. And then in the end, we have those that have erred from the truth. Uh, and, and it talks about converting them and saving the sinner from the way. And I don't really have in mind that we talk a lot about those four categories, four groups of people. But I realize that we have a congregation here made up of some this morning that are singing, some that are merry, some that have a song on their heart. Life is good. Praise God for that. I realize that we have some in our congregation this morning that possibly are experiencing some affliction, trying to find our way this morning, and God says, pray. I don't know about the sick. Maybe I won't comment much on those. But then we also realize, and we know that it exists in our congregation, that we have some possibly that have erred from the truth, or those that have never been in the truth, that actually need a thorough, genuine conversion. And that is typical of the of a church makeup. But this morning I would like just to focus a little bit, if I can, here on verse sixteen. It says here, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'd like to just share a little bit personally this morning about my own heart and life and experience. And I'm just choosing this morning to be a bit transparent with my life as one part of your leadership team in the fellowship here. Early this week in the morning, I found myself with Moses sitting there by the well of Midian. I feel early this week like my life came to a screeching halt. And I want to make sure that you understand that my life didn't come to a screeching halt sitting by there by the well of Midian largely because of what John shared with you last Sunday. John was a bit transparent with where he finds himself. And the reason I found myself there this week wasn't largely because of that. I just want to make sure that we understand that this morning. This week, early in the week, and not that I, maybe by me sharing this, some of you will write it off that I must be a weak leader. Maybe some of you will feel like I'm a strong leader. I don't know how you will conclude this week. But this week, my life, I felt, came to a screeching halt. Not that I never realized in my life in ministry that I wouldn't have hurt someone and found the grace to go forward. But this week, it came to my attention that there's some hurting people in the congregation here because of me. And that was a bit painful for me. I realized that we're all made up of different personalities. Some can handle that better than others. I'm one as a relationship kind of person, the kind of person I am, my personality. When I find those things out, this week it brought my life to somewhat of a stop. You know, it said the ordained brothers live in a glass house. I was realized that early on. Uh, in, in life, that yeah, those that are in the ministry live in a glass house. You know, it's hard to hide anything. They, their flat spots eventually come out. You know, it's a little bit like uh, when you're living beside a, a busy highway or a busy road, and you hear a heavy truck go down the road. If he has a flat spot on his wheel, you can hear that going for a long, long time. And I realize that those that are in leadership find themselves at a place like that. 
uh, where it's it's hard to hide those kind of things. And uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'll let you decide. But when I found that out this week, it was very difficult for me. And that all happened through the discourse with a brother where I found out some of the intensity of that. And it drew me to a place of recoil. And part of the reason why I'm sharing all this, I realize when those kind of things happen, the easiest thing for us to do is draw back, draw back uh, from responsibilities, draw back from those kind of things and put a shell around us to avoid that this isn't going to happen again. It's such a natural tendency that I think we do without thinking. And I would have to say it was a huge temptation for me. It doesn't feel good. Okay, I made a mistake. Maybe there's some misunderstandings there. Maybe there's some uh, reactionary there. Maybe it was a bit impulsive, the reasons that those things all happen. Uh, and we try to figure those things out. The easiest thing to do is just back up and put a, a wall around us when in reality what we really need is a horib. And I'm grateful this morning that I found a horib this week. I found the mountain of God this week. I found the mountain of God this week, and I want to recommend that to you. You know, there's some verses that became very precious to me in First John. You can turn there just a few pages back from where you are, if you're still there in James, to First John. And I'll just read them. In chapter 1, it says, uh, I think I'll read verse 5. Uh, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light as He is in the light and we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we look at 1 John, we realize that life comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Life comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we summarize this chapter up and we realize that, yes, the necessity to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ and connected to that vine and all those kind of things. But then the other element of that we see here in First John is the whole idea of having that close heart-to-heart fellowship. And where I found myself this week and is my testimony this week, you know, when we find ourselves in those kind of situations, maybe it's on the backside of the desert, maybe it's back there, around the back somewhere, and life has become mundane, and we're living in darkness. Uh, we, we don't, I say living in darkness. We don't have the light on our path, and, and we're just not sure which way to go, which way to turn. My testimony this morning is that when those kind of things happen, what we really need is get close to God, because in Him is light, in Him is no darkness at all. And the closer we get to God, the more light God will give us to shine on our journey. And that is what will get us out of the land of Midian. And that is where God found me this week. And I thank God for that. Even though I was hugely tempted there to put a wall around myself. You know, I see myself in a lot of ways like Moses in his early life. A bit impulsive, a bit reactionary. A bit of, well, I'll take this situation into my own hands. And I want to apologize to the congregation here this morning that I know because of that a bit of impulsive nature on my behalf, I hurt a few people. And I want to take responsibility for that. I want to learn from that. I want you to know this morning that I'm, a, I'm on a personal journey. I have chosen this morning after some of my discovery to go on a personal journey of wanting to meet some of this head on and let God build 
into my life what he wants to build in my life. To better be what God wants me to be. That's my desire here this morning. And that's the thing that I would like. You know, this morning as we consider where we're at in church life, in fellowship here. And I know that probably a fairly large percentage of our fellowship this morning, you have a merry heart. You have a song on your heart. I realize that. And I say nothing other than God bless you in that. Praise the Lord. But I also realize that there are some of those in this congregation this morning that are a bit afflicted and maybe even in confusion and maybe even frustration because some of the things going on that are going on. And we may have a few more rivers to cross in our congregation. I know we do. But this morning I would like the gist, my heart, my heart for this congregation, my desire for myself is that one of the absolute necessities in order for us to move ahead in congregation life is to be able to focus on good healthy relationships. I would just like to give that to us as a recommendation this morning, the need for healthy, good relationships so that we can chart a course so that we can find our way with God. And I want you to know this morning that I want to be a contributor to that end. I want to be a contributor to that end. And I'm not giving this this morning that this is a magic bullet that's going to fix everything. We just need to restore relationships and everything's going to be fine. I realize that we have a few more rivers to cross, but I just want to encourage us this morning that that's what we need. We need to find God when we have difficulties that come our way. We need to stop, we need to turn, we need to look, and we need to listen. Yesterday, my son was talking to a fellow who is finding his way. I asked him if I can use this example because to me it was so fitting. He was trying to encourage a young man, not part of this fellowship, you probably don't even know him, but he was trying to encourage a young man who was, can I say discouraged, he was a bit frustrated because of where he was finding himself. He recently has made a request to his dad that he could get, uh, I don't know if it was a smartphone or an iPhone or a what phone, but he wanted to get a certain phone and he wanted to, he had his reasons for wanting to get it and he got his dad uh, to do some research to find out about how you could make this phone a safe phone and he got his dad convinced that this would be an okay idea for whatever legitimate reason he had for desiring this kind of a phone. Uh, his dad did some research and pretty much came to a conclusion that, yeah, he would allow his son uh, to get this phone that he wanted. And they went to bed over it. The next morning they woke up and dad said, uh, son, um, I would just like to be able to bring this to the brothers. I'd like to be able to bring this to the brothers in the congregation before you uh, make this investment or get this phone. I, I'd just like to, to hear back from the brothers. Even though dad was pretty much okay with it, dad felt pretty good about it. And uh, and I don't know everything that happened here. He just kind of reiterated it to me. But anyway, went to a brother's meeting and there was a brother in the congregation that was not comfortable with it. And part of what made this young man struggle was the brother in the congregation that was not comfortable with this young man ending up with a phone like this. The young man that wanted the phone knew this brother and knew this brother's personal struggles, knew this brother's defeat. And now this brother who is already struggling, who is not what he should be, he's not the example that he should be, is speaking into my life. And because of that, now I can't, you know, it, it, it threw a, it, 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 
yeah, threw a stone into the gears, and it was this man who was struggling. And now this young man has to work through this person that was already struggling, uh, was the one that influenced that he wasn't able to get the phone, and now he's working through the, those kind of struggles. And those are very real issues that happen in our daily lives, are they not? And those are the kind of things that I'm going to encourage us, young men, young or old, whoever we are, wherever we find ourselves, when those kind of things happen, rather than getting bitter, frustrated, and run back to Midian. We're so easy to do that. I'm going to suggest to us that's where we need to turn to God. We need to turn to God and say, God, where are you at in all this? God is bigger than all those things. I'm convinced God is bigger than all those things. That's where we need to turn to God. You know, I believe that if we don't turn to God when those kind of things happen, the easiest thing to do is to run and hide and, and, and put walls up around ourselves to keep from being hurt again. And I'd like to encourage us this, this morning that that's not the answer. Irregardless of where we find ourselves this morning, I would just encourage us to open our heart up and be able to turn to God when we have those kind of difficulties. I'd like to look yet at Isaiah 66. And this is in a personal sense. But I'm wondering this morning if we could look at this as a congregation. Maybe I'll just... Isaiah 66. I want verse 2, but maybe I'll read verse 1 along with it. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye builded unto me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. You know, Scripture makes it clear, this is the man he will look at. Him that is of a poor, him that is of a contrite spirit. That's the man that... God will look at and trembles at his word. And I'd like to recommend to that us this morning as a congregation, if God will look to a man like that, will God not look to the church which is already the apple of his eye who posture themselves like that? May I give that to us this morning as a recommendation? That's my encouragement this morning. I'd like to, this morning, go down just a little bit of a different vein now. I was a bit reluctant to do this, but in some ways felt maybe the necessity of it. You know, my desire is, in congregational life, for openness, for taking the lid off. And as I shared, and I just reiterated it a little bit again, as I shared that I realized I hurt some people... Some of you were at Dale Heisey's meetings down at Charity where he, and I'm not sure if they literally did this in his church, where they actually, he, he recommended anyway, I don't know if I can put it in his words, that every brother in the church ought to be able to sit on this chair here in the front of the congregation and let any brother in the congregation say whatever he wanted to about this brother. Something like that he shared as a value. And I don't know if they literally did that. And before I go too far down what I want to share here, I just want you to know that that is actually my heart. I I do want to know. And I realize there comes a time we close a chapter and we rise and build. 
irregardless of what happened back there. But I want you to know, those of you brothers in this room that have been and are struggling with things that I possibly said, things that I did, anything of that nature, I really do want to hear from you. I want a clear heart. I want a clear understanding from my brothers in this congregation. I really long for that. I really do, and I, I want you to do that. I want you to share with me because I, I want to learn to, to be the leader, part of a leadership team, and the leader as part of that leadership team in this congregation uh, that is conducive to good relationships. Well, anyhow, the other vein that I want to go down just a little bit here this morning. <clears throat> it is said, when a preacher gets into a pulpit, his personal life stands right there beside him. Such as if he has personal failures, possibly an angry man, maybe a struggling family, a poor testimony in the community, because of the needs that he has in his life when he stands in the pulpit, or when he gives leadership to the church, that those things stand right there beside him. It's said that way, and we understand it that way, and we believe it that that way. And I already shared a few of the struggles that I have, and I want to go down just a little bit of a different vein. And I'm reluctant to share this because I'm afraid you may interpret it a bit wrongly. Um, but yet I feel that just maybe for the sake of me being able to share it, for you having a better window into our home, into our family, into our family life, will assist you maybe in the future, uh, as you relate to us and as you relate to our family. And, and that's why I want to share it. And I want you to know as I share this, I am fully persuaded that as for God, His way is perfect. And I want you to know that my, to my wife and I and our family, we feel forever indebted to this congregation here for your overwhelming support. This morning you took an offering uh, because of the situation that we have in our home. And I just want to share a few things with you. And I actually asked Joshua when I began sharing this if he'd take Jared out. I know most of you know Jared. He's 16 years old, going on 17. And even though I'm sharing these things, if he was sitting here, he probably would catch nothing that I'm saying. But just for the sake of things, I asked if he would take him out. And I guess as part of the leadership team and who I am and things, there are many times that in my own personal life, I would, I would long and have longed for an example of another brother somewhere that would have a similar situation to what we have that I could watch to see how he does it with some of the temptations and some of the things that we face in our family. I would have to say that my wife and I feel like we're on a personal journey in our own home trying to determine what our limits are. And we feel like we have not done a very good job of understanding what those limits are and where those limits are. And too many times we find ourselves living more of a reality of frustration than not. And I'm not sharing this with you this morning to justify my reason for hurting some people. Yet I do realize it may be healthy for some of you to understand some of the uh, intensity that we at times live in in our home because of some of these challenges. And I want you to know, even though I share some of these challenges we face, I look back, excuse me, and I know that God's way is perfect. And I look back at amazing ways that God has provided for us in our home. And my wife and I 
currently feel forever indebted to the dear Hess family and for what Kirsch is currently contributing to our home. I don't know how we would be getting through without that. What a tremendous example of the hands and feet of Jesus, what she's doing. And we feel so indebted to the Hess family for what they're contributing. And we're so thankful. However, it doesn't remove some of the challenges that we do face. And maybe just to share a few, to some there may be, you already knew some of these things, but there have been many, many times that I have rushed home or we rushed a family meeting together to search for a missing boy lost in the woods. And some of the intensity that we face because of that. We have, in our home, have needed to make numerous lifestyle adjustments because of our situation. And I am convinced we'll probably need to continue to need to do some of those things in the future. Such as relocating to a place far off the road. Um, uh, a job shift I have done. The reason I do what I do today is largely because of my vision and goal to be able to take him along, which I do some. We've experienced some challenging vacations. We have over the years have had, had to have significant home repairs due to some of the challenges that we face, such as replacing carpets and drywall and those kind of things because of water damage. And some of you are aware of some of those happenings we've had. We've had a golf cart crash into the house already, and there's been at least a time or two where he was strangling his younger brother, and we believe didn't really know what he was doing. Uh, the other morning, we found 12 empty cupcake papers uh, down in the uh, in the kitchen. In the middle of the night, he got up and devoured them, things he's not supposed to happen to have. Uh, this week, he was helping a little girl cope with losing a litter of kittens due to what he did. Uh, yesterday it was uh, fixing a boy's face because of uh, the damage that a stick did. And I know some of you are probably wondering and saying, why don't you just discipline? Why don't you discipline? Why don't you just discipline? And I understand that I would probably say that to you in your situation. I would have to say that you know, we've tried it all. As a 16-year-old boy, it takes two of us to do it now. And one of the extreme challenges that we have in our home when it comes to disciplining has a tremendously high pain tolerance. I mean, we have to literally put welds there in order for him to really feel it, and he doesn't cry. Very, very rarely he'll cry. Very rarely he'll cry. We've tried all kinds of methods from standing in the corner to under a blanket and those kind of things. And sometimes we wonder, well, maybe sometimes we're seeing some results. Sometimes we aren't. But it's those kind of challenges that we do face. This year has been a bit challenging knowing that he's facing adolescence and some of those challenges that the reality of that we're experiencing can be very challenging. And there have, and I, I, have to, I want to be so careful how I'm sharing these things. I am not actually sharing these things for pity. I want you to understand that. I'm not sharing these things. I'm just sharing these things because I feel sometimes it may be helpful for you as a congregation, just to be, not that you need to come piteous, you need to really do anything, but my wife and I personally are on a journey of trying to determine where our boundaries are. I'm not sharing these things to say that I want to run back to Midian. I don't want to run back to Midian. I tremendously enjoy the privilege that you as a congregation give us to be part of your lives, 
to be part of a ministry team in your lives. I would feel like if I wouldn't have the privilege to be part of a leadership team in this congregation, something would be majorly missing. And yes, we do feel called to it. We feel called to it. We really do. But we do have a hard time in our home, I'm just being honest with you, finding and knowing where our boundaries are as we face these things. Some of the high demands. And we do tremendously appreciate your support. One of the things, maybe to just help you understand a little bit, I'll say this about autism. Now, as as a father of an autistic child, I probably should have done much more personal study and research over the years myself. But from those that have done personal research and study, just to help you understand a little bit, a boy like him, uh, the thing that he does a lot of, they call stemming. And I'm not even sure to ask my wife what some of those things are where he just repetition, repetition. And many times, like this morning, we could hardly get him in the van before he went to look for bugs. He desperately, desperately wanted bugs, little bugs in his bag before we came to church this morning. And we look at those kind of things and have to wonder now, we just really ought to be able to break that. There was a girl that had done research on autism that discovered from an autistic child himself that learned somehow to communicate. And this is what he communicated. And obviously he would have been a higher functioning child of autism than what our Jared is. But one of the things that was become evident from this fellow is that some of these stemming patterns that they do, you know, uh, whether it's tiny little bugs or, or those kind of things, the the craving that a child has to do those kind of things is similar to someone like you and I, our natural desire for food when we're hungry. We almost can't pass it up. We almost can't function. And a child, an autistic child lives for survival. I mean, that's pretty much commonly known. They live for survival with very little to no connection with reality. And I realize that there are very different levels of autism also. But that is apparently how, that is, that is in a lot of ways how a child like that lives and functions just simply for survival. So you bring that alongside of, of, uh, you know, a child that functions for survival and has these intense, intense cravings for something and just simply can't get his mind off of it. I mean, if you're hungry, you're hungry. Now I realize there's time we ought to discipline ourselves and do fasting and we need to discipline ourselves to do that. But a normal child, when he's hungry, he's hungry. You can't get him past something. That's actually how a child like that lives. The, the, the intensity of that craving for something is just like that. So I just thought it would maybe be beneficial to share some of those things with you. I, uh, as you know, most of you know that I uh, do what I do largely. He doesn't go with me every day that he doesn't go over to the care center or to, uh, to uh, the workshop. Um, one of the challenges that I run into, just to give you an example of another happening that has happened at the packing plant where I go to, they came up with a policy now that children are not allowed outside of the truck, which means when I'm there, he has to stay in the truck. So this was a whole other hoop to jump through to retrain him and convince him when I'm there and he's with me, he has to stay in the truck. And it was one hot summer day I was delivering down there and I left the truck run because I knew the air conditioner needs to be on while he's in there to keep him cool. And I came out and I hear this horrific noise going on in the truck. And here he is, he's standing there and he's really laughing. It's the most fun thing he could do. The truck's running and he got a hold of the gear shifter and he's trying to put it in gear. And it's just grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding. And the truck's half, I don't know if it was half stolen, but there he is. And this is something he found to do. It was his stemming thing at the moment and he's doing it. 
And those kind of things sometimes just about puts me over the limit, over the edge. Uh, now, here I am. I'm sharing all those things and I fear you're going to look at me in pity. No. There's to an extent that it just helps me. It relieves me just to be able to share some of those pressures that we face. Now, you may wonder, what does that have to do with the journey and the things that I shared with you? And I'm not sure necessarily what all it does. One of the things that I find, I'm just being really open and honest and transparent with who I really am to help you better understand me. And I would, you know, I, my wife and I, we have an intense desire to get to know the hearts. And I'll be honest with you, I realize that's where I'm failing in this congregation. As a leadership team, I would love to get into all your homes. I would love to sit at your feet and learn of you. I would love to get to know this congregation a lot better. And this is a going congregation, but I realize we're limited to what we can actually do because of our situation. And another element of my life that I'd like to be totally honest with you that I need to learn to grow in. And I know we have to be careful with our giftings, who we are, because I believe when we learn to walk in the fullness of Christ and become more and more into His image, I think it's a means of us growing more and more into Christ-likeness. And even though we may have a gifting in one area or we have a a, uh, a personality, this kind of a personality. I believe as, as we learn to grow into the fullness of Christ, we ought to be able to blend those all together. However, I also realize that we all have somewhat of a nature of who we are. I tend to personal, personally tend to be a person more cleric in nature. And a cleric kind of a person looks at a situation and a thing and he wants to fix it almost before it's broke. In other words, when something is wrong, there's something inside of me that wants to go in full motion of fixing it and making it all better. And I realize that that is an area where I really need to learn temperance and in the, the, the congregation here. And, and that is when we are working through difficulty and we're working through challenges and my stress level is already up possibly higher than it should be and I want to go into full gear and I just want to fix it. And I realize that I have done some of that to some of you and some of you are struggling today because of that. But I just want you to know this morning that I just want to be a brother. I want to be a brother who parks there at Horeb where I found myself this week and learn in that bush, learn to get out of my situation what God has for me. I want to hear from God. I want to hear from God. And I just, uh, I guess I'll conclude with that here this morning. I would like if we as a congregation can be open and can be transparent. And when God brings unusual situations in our life, rather than just writing it off and reverting back there to Midian, back there where life was good, back there where we learned to cope with things and situation, situations and put a shell around us, that is not where God wants us. That's where not, not where God wants us to go this morning. So if you find yourself in a desert this morning, because of the things that have come your way, even though it may seem like people, and a lot of times it is people, that's, that's part of the things that we deal with. But can we, like Moses, stop and see God in those situations that come? And you know, there's another thing. It's, it's down a little bit of a different vein as we consider this Horeb. You know, I think we all need, especially men, we need a Horeb. We need a place where we can shut ourselves away and where we can hear from God. But there's another vein for us to consider this morning as we consider Horeb. 
I think it's also part of God's design and his plan that our church becomes that. That our church becomes that Horeb, that mountain of God, that place of stability, that place of rest, that place where there is freedom, where there is, where, where we can come to. It's, it, it's that Horeb. And we want our church to also become that this morning. And I think the church will only become that as we, especially men, learn and find the Horeb that God has for us in our lives. Where God deals with us personally and where we break our hearts before God. I think I'll close with that. God bless you.